0: I want to share from um, Isaiah chapter 44. You know, I was planning on sharing about the, the attribute of God, the sovereignty of God, and um, boy, there's just so much to this. I like to go back to Tozier's book, Knowledge of the Holy, when I'm, I'm tackling some of this, just to read some of the things he said. I'm going to share a few things from that. But Monday morning, we woke up to just a devastating thing in Las Vegas, Nevada. Brent and I was there for one one evening um, because we was heading up to the Hoover Dam. And we decided to drive through. And uh, And I think we ate at a um, something like a Waffle House or something like that. We really splurged. But um, it just was... Uh, Awful to hear what happened there. And, uh, and, and this kind of, it, it doesn't necessarily fit what I'm sharing, but this comes into question. Why things like this happen? And I guess that's the big question that even people were investigating. Why did this man do this? But it does challenge us uh, philosophically, morally, ethically, spiritually, because we do have that big question: Why? How? How does how does evil exist like this in our world? It's a probing question. Where does evil come from? And uh, does did God create evil? Now we immediately say no, but there's people that are making all kind of conclusions as to what happened, what we need to do to not let it happen again, but. Like I don't know if you can prevent people from doing stuff like that, but but what's going on in spiritually with with things that like that that happen? First of all, I just think we ought to be qu- quick not to jump up and defend God as though we're representing him as a defense attorney. Uh, he can represent himself quite well, and he's not on trial. Some people try to put them on trial like a Richard Dawkins and people like that. But uh, I believe there are answers and not necessarily answers to all the angles and all the questions, but we're going to look at some things tonight. Remember this. The Bible's been around a long time, long time, hundreds and hundreds of years before Charles Darwin visited the Galapagos Islands and came to this um, theory of the origin of the species, it, it is a theory. It's not a, a scientific deduction. But the Bible wasn't written in the days of creation to answer Charles Darwin or to answer any objection to God being the originator and the creator of all things, all matter. And yet here comes, like, in our most recent history, you know, Darwin wrote his book Origin of the Species somewhere in the 1850s. And uh, you, ought to, you ought to read some of it. It's quite interesting. He uh, studied pigeons, by the way. I don't know why he counted their tail feathers and things. Uh, I, I just don't see how that <laughs> makes an uh, alligator, um, you know, an elephant in a few million years. But uh, you know, sometimes it almost puts the Bible on trial, but these people are way late in all of this and the bible has been the standard of explaining how things started genesis actually means beginnings you know how how everything got started how mankind got started and uh, so scripture's been here a long time and we're speaking tonight about the sovereignty of god this comes into real focus in Isaiah 44 and uh, we'll read there in just a moment but sovereignty has to do with authority absolute power and in prayer today, one of the thoughts that came to my mind, we had, we had worship music going on in the sanctuary practically most of the day today. So, you know, I could come in and just at times. But there's no sovereign above God. There's no one outranks God. He's the ultimate sovereign. And here's what to- Tozier says about the sovereignty of God. He, he writes it this way. God's sovereignty is the attribute, God's sovereignty is the attribute by which he rules his entire creation. It's his attribute by which he rules the entire creation. And to be sovereign, God must be all knowing, all powerful, and absolutely free. There's nothing to restrain him. He, he is self-sufficient. He has no deficiencies whatsoever. And he, by his sovereignty, rules his entire universe. Now, he goes on to say, to be Lord over all the creation, and that's what God is. He's Lord over all the creation. He must possess all knowledge. And were God lacking one infinitesimal modicum of power, that lack would end his reign And undo his kingdom. It's just one tiny defect there. It would undo everything. And he goes on to say that one stray atom of power would belong to someone else and God would become a limited ruler and hence not sovereign. If there's just one, uh, what do they call them, Uh, free radicals, (laughs) but they're not really free because... They're doing something out of the norm to attach themselves. So they're free within the sphere of how they behave. Like a bird. Is a bird free? Not really. He's free unless an owl spots. Or, (laughs) yes, he... uh, flies through traffic when he shouldn't, or food becomes scarce, or water. There's a number of things, and mostly birds stay in the same area. Even large eagles, they're, they could be free to go, but because of their innate habitat, the way they settle, they're not really absolutely free. We say, well, they can be free to do, No, they can't be free to do whatever they want to. Innate with them is this containment... And so for God, there's no restraints on him. He's absolutely free. Uh, We usually end up about this question about freedom, especially about the free will of people. We're going to get to that in just a moment. But he says that he, God, must be free to do whatever he wills to do anywhere at any time to carry out his eternal purpose in every single detail, without interference. So what goes on with the shooting in Las Vegas? It really compels us to look at it through the prism of the sovereignty of God. I heard some people say that there was guardian angels out there referencing first responders. And I know what they were talking about, people who actually rescued lives. But, you know, I think it was Shelby Pierce. He said one day somebody survives a horrible accident. And uh, people say, well, it was the angel of God. The, the You know, you're, the angel of God protected you. But what happens if there's a fatality and, and they're a believer? You know, and, and of course, Shelby can be devil's advocate, can he? <laughs> and he says, what, was the angel off duty? <laughs> was he distracted? And, and we say things, and like, if you start applying what those principles are, we're like, are we starting to deal with the sovereignty of God and the free will of man and what, why shouldn't God prevent things? Why wouldn't God prevent what happened Monday or late Sunday night? You know, those are the questions that people are asking, especially to us as people of faith. Um, I recently heard an interview uh, by John Rankin. He wrote a book, The Freedom to Choose Hell that people are given the freedom to choose hell. Now here's, in my thinking, why would anybody choose that in their right mind? And I think they would say, everybody wants to go to heaven. Everybody want to have this sense that, you know, I'm a good person, I try to do the best I can, and I try not to hurt people, and I try to be a good employee, and, and they start giving the qualifications to why They should go to heaven, and that is not, that's not the path. The path is a faith in Jesus who died for our sins. So remember why hell was created. You remember why hell was created? For the celestial rebellion that took place. That when Lucifer convinced a third, I mean, that's a lot of angels, a third of the angels to rebel with him, and and they were... Um, expelled from heaven, and God created their prison that they will be confined to for eternity. He created hell as their place of confinement. They're just out on parole right now. that They've already been sentenced. It's just it's waiting for it to happen, and it's going to happen. So when we look at people choosing hell, I don't know all the details of how Rankin comes to that conclusion, but actually, people choose that when they reject Jesus. It's kind of when I was talking to uh, my brother's son, uh, brother-in-law and uh, Ken Witten, and he was dying of cancer. He is a motorcyclist, a rough character, and he and Johnny made great friends when they were both like that. Um, but I was up there talking to him, and was trying to tell him about Jesus. And, and I didn't, well, how can I tell Ken about, you know, he's just rough. He's, but he started telling me about one of the doctors sit down next to his bed. He's, he's terminal, but that's giving him, like, days to live. Advanced cancer. And he said, the doctor sit down here and prayed for me on the side of my bed. I said, well, that's great. I says, well, what do you think about that? He said, well, I, I like that. And I said, Ken, here's here's what I look, and I think you'll understand this, that Jesus came to confront the bully that's on this planet, that takes advantage of people, that destroys their family, destroys their lives. And what he did when he died and was raised from the dead, he knocked his teeth out. And what's in front of you now is which side are you going to choose? Because Jesus won that contest. And when you choose him, you get in on the benefits of that win. But when you reject him, you choose to go with the defeated one and arrive where he's going. So I guess people do have the freedom to choose that destination. Not necessarily like yeah, that's where I want to go. But when you reject Jesus, you're actually partnering with the one who's opposed to him. Let me read uh, from Isaiah 44 just for a moment here. This is where we're going to start with the sovereignty of God. This is such a neat section of Isaiah's prophecy. Um, you know, the, the whole, I, I love the way God is talking to these people about making idols and how they look at idols and See, he gets to that later, but look at verse 1. Now listen, Jacob, my servant Israel, whom I have chosen. This is what the Lord says. He who made you, who formed you in the womb, and who will help you. Do not be afraid, Jacob, my servant Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. where's the sovereignty of God? We're about to get to it. Some will say, I belong to the Lord. Others will call themselves by the name of Jacob. Still others will write on their hand, the Lord's, and will take the name of Israel. Well, this is what the Lord says. Israel's king, redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. There is no challenger. This is his statement of sovereignty, absolute sovereignty. There is no God apart from me. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people. And what is yet to come, yes, let them foretell what will come. What do you think he's getting at here? What are you picking up that he's pressing to the people of Israel? That they don't know what's ahead of them. They don't have the answers. He's letting them know that he is their only source. They don't have it figured out. And he's about to get to the whole thing about them trusting idols to help him. He's already told them, he says, there's no other God but me. But he says, who can tell what's going to happen? And listen to verse 8. Do not, do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God? He goes back to that. Is there any God besides me? No, there is no other rock. I know not one. All who make idols are nothing, and the things they treasure are worthless. Those who would speak up for them are blind. They are ignorant to their own shame. And there I thought, well, how does that sound in the, uh, in the message? Let me give you this. This is... Verses 9 through 11 in the message. All those who make no-god idols don't amount to a thing. I thought he might use the word stupid, but he didn't. That's what I was... You know, they're just stupid. They're just ignorant people. (laughs) And what they work so hard at making is nothing. Their little puppet gods see nothing and know nothing. They're total embarrassments. Who would bother making gods that can't do anything? That can't God. Watch all the no-God worshipers hide their faces in shame. Watch the no-God makers slink off humiliated when their idols fail them. Get them out of here in the open. Make them face God reality. People trying to find a substitute other than God, and God is telling them, right up, there's no other substitute. There's no other God to help you. What what you are relying on is something you made. How can that help you? You made it. How can it turn around and help you? I mean, he's he's really using logic to really show them. He challenged the notion that they can take wood, stone, material, and try to make a God that supposedly could help them. He says, I made that. I'm the creator of all things. He says, I formed you. Now isn't it interesting he used a womb to describe how he made Israel. He made Israel like, like a woman in gestation, gestation has a baby developed within her. He said, I was the one who created you. You are my product. Like you came out of the womb. I, that's how you appeared is that I just made you. And then he says, there's no God besides the Lord God. Now there's When you talk about the sovereignty of God and you look at something like what happened in Las Vegas and all these discussions, and I think there's a lot of stuff, you know, that's being asked. And we don't know everything about what happened there. But there's two problems or two things that challenges us in coming to answers. And the first one is this. Why is there a present of evil in our world? Where did evil come from? And the other one is the, the free will of man. Man having a free will. The presence of evil, pain, and suffering is used by atheists and agnostics to say, see, there can't be a God. Not the God you're talking about. Not a God that's all-powerful, that can do anything that He wants to do, and that it is nothing but good. And he would have the power to make everything good. And that happens. Which they say proves that the God that you say exists does not exist. Can't be a compelling challenge, can it? I just called Robbie Zacharias up and said, You talk to him. But where did evil come from? Did God create evil? Is he the source of it? You know, he made Adam and Eve, and uh, he gave them free will to choose, did he not? Where did evil come from? Did it just happen in the Garden of Eden? Yeah, when Satan became, when Lucifer became the adversary of God. Because Adam and Eve were not alone in the garden, were they? There was the serpent. And the serpent knew, being used by the devil, what God had told them about what they could eat and what they couldn't eat. And he zeroed in on the one inhibition that God gave him, And he says, he's just really hiding something from you. He knows you'll become like him. And that's what he's... Boy, if the devil could be an expert at that, you know, that would be it. I want to become like God. I want, to, I want to have his place, and that's what kicked him out of heaven. But he introduced Adam and Eve to choices that would be in defiance of God. Therefore, it became sin, and that's where evil entered into the human race. Sin entered into the human race through Adam and Eve. God created them, but when he created them, he did, not put a, he did not download a program in their brains that they would only make good decisions, did he? That they wouldn't make stupid decisions. They wouldn't do something dumb like they did. He could have programmed that way. He knew what they was going to do. He, he knew that if he, whatever parameters he gave them, they was going to go over that fence. They were going to go over that parameter. So is God responsible for their decision? There's some people that would take the sovereignty of God to this degree that they had to sin because the plan of salvation had to be initiated. So it's predetermined that they would sin. Or someone takes the whole thing about God knowing something and knowing it and allowing it, that he's actually the cause agent of it. Because he allowed something, he's the cause of it, that he approved it. And that's taking the sovereignty of God to a place of faultiness. The knowledge of God, God being an all-knowing, knows everything, does not cause what happens. Even though he knows something is going to happen, He's not the cause of it because he gives. Isn't it interesting that the same people believe that God should stop anything bad, never questions that the freedom they have to question it is granted to them. Would they want God to be that wasn't, wouldn't let something bad happen, but wouldn't let you do something that you wanted to do? that he didn't approve of. Well, he didn't create us. It's obvious he didn't create us that way. I mean, Adam and Eve proved to us he did not create us that way to where he was going to stop us from doing anything he disapproved of. You know, he knew what they was going to do and he knew when they did it. He never stepped in. He could have, you know, yelled out, what are you doing? Stay away from the tree. Didn't I tell you not to go over there? Don't look at it. Don't talk to the serpent. He could have interrupted that conversation at any point. But he did not want to create robots. He wanted them to obey him because they wanted to obey him. They wanted, he wants us to believe. And it comes down to Arminius and Calvin, really. This whole thing of um, free will versus predestination. John Calvin. Um, what about the free will of Stephen Paddock? He sure wished he didn't have free will. But what a terrible use of his will. Horrendous. We might not know what happened to the man, why he was filled with such a horrific plan, and to carry it out like he did. You know, the vast majority of human beings would not shoot like that into a herd of cows, let alone in the mass gathering of people. There's something so demonic and devilish about that. It's hard to know what was going on with him, but it's obviously not even humane, not even the basic human compassion and feelings. But yet we're faced with the question of the man's free will and how that free will operates within the authority of God and the purpose of God. And in, in Tozier's book, he gives a powerful illustration. That you don't have to be, I always find it interesting, you know, I've had this guy twice, he's asked me the same question. And I, I want to say to him, well, if you'd come and hear me preach, you might know what I believe, but I didn't say that. But uh, he said, I know that you guys believe you can lose your salvation. This is how he started this question. I know you guys can believe, I believe you can lose your salvation. I said, I've never said that. i never used those words. Never. I've never said that. I don't believe that. You don't don't believe that? What he's wanting to know, if I'm Armenian, I said, I don't even know if I'm that. I said, I believe in the security of the believer. What I don't believe is the security, the eternal security of the apostate. Someone who's abandoned their faith. Now, other people believe that that person's even secure, but I I, I don't see it that way. I said, but I've never said someone can lose their salvation like you lose your car keys. Where would my salvation go? Where's it like? I was saved a while ago. I don't know what happened. I said, that's a, that's a terrible word to use. He said, oh, and then like three years later, he says, I know you guys believe. I says, I've already answered that question. We've had this conversation. Oh, I remember now. I don't like for people to, you know, kind of categorize me because I'm a symbol of God out of a Wesleyan holiness background that we came out of. And just because we have free will doesn't mean that we believe that. But somewhere in the sovereignty of God, that people are predestined, Calvin, the five tulips, just total depravity, limited atonement. That only those that are elect are going to be saved. And if you're not elect, you're not going to be saved. No matter what you want to do, you can't even get saved if you want to be saved. Because God determined ahead of time that you weren't going to be saved. And there's so many places in the Bible that that just doesn't fit. God is not willing that any should perish. But that all would come to repentance. How, how, do, you, how do you come to the conclusion that some are meant to be saved and they can't do anything but get saved? Where is the free will in that? If you confess with your mouth, because God makes you to confess with your mouth. And God makes you believe in your heart that, God, that Christ was raised from the dead. No, it's, it's the free response of, of the gospel to the good news that he died for me. And that struck a chord in me. You know, I, I tell you, I'm, I'm an evangelist to the Waffle House employees. And I got a chance to talk to the waitress that waited on Tim and I this morning. We had a chance to have breakfast together, and we prayed, and she came over and said, well, you know, what what, what do you guys do? And, and I says, he cleans up water spills. And uh, I shepherd people. And, and Tim says, pastor. He's a pastor. But uh, I said, what? What do you need prayer for? And then she said something about my boyfriend and I finances. And I said, where are you at in faith? What do you mean? I said, where are you in Jesus? Well, I haven't been in church. I said, I I didn't ask you about church. I said, you know the church did not die on the cross for you. Where are you in Jesus? And then she's still backpedaling. You know, I I, I know I need, but I have to work on Sundays. I said, listen, what happened on the cross was for all of us. She, had, she has a free will, does she not? Nobody can make her do anything. I would never try to press someone to do something they, didn't want, they don't want to do. But the reality is they need to do something with that gospel, with that gift that God is offering to humanity, that, that if you believe on him and confess him, you will be saved, your name be written in the Lamb's book of life. Who does not want that if they really understand the magnitude of that? But it's because she has the free will to, to make that choice, does she not? And this brings us to that other question about man's free will, that not just the sovereignty of God, but we're faced with that. In the Tozier's book, he uses a great illustration about it doesn't have to be one or the other, it doesn't have to be Arminius. Or Calvin, it can be a blend between the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. And he uses this great illustration. If you uh, have knowledge of the whole, it's it's great. I cannot even tell it as good as he writes it. But he says, it's like an ocean liner. That the owners of that ocean liner and the captain have a route that they've already pre-approved to leave New York and to arrive in Liverpool. And so they're going to go from point A to point B, and it's not negotiable. But the people on the ocean liner has the liberty to sleep, to eat, to lounge on the deck, to socialize, to eat again, and socialize some more and eat again, you know, because eating is the big thing on a a cruise. He says they have all this liberty to make decisions while they're on a ship heading in a direct place to arrive at a destination. He says, and that liner is like the sovereignty of God. God has a place and an arrival point for us, but on that journey, he gives us the free will to choose what we're going to do during that journey. The free will to come here on a Wednesday night, the free will to pray you know, when you get home, you have the free will to turn on television or grab a late snack, you know, or get on social media, check out your emails, you, or you can just start getting ready for bed. All of those things are your decisions. Whether we pray and seek God and, you know, I, I saw those lyrics on that, uh, come and consume God all we are. Um. We give you permission. Isn't that interesting? We give God permission. But that's what he asks for. Because he gives us this free moral agency. He doesn't push us. He may press us. He may convict us. But he doesn't make us do anything. And he waits for us to say that. We give you permission. Consume everything about us. Our hearts are yours. We want you. We want you. We're just not going to tolerate you doing something in our life. We want you to do something in us. Isn't that neat when you come to the reality that nobody monitors your spirituality for you? Nobody can determine. You know, I love it. I love coming into worship. You know, I had... Diane and Christy Beavers asked, Who is that in there? I said, That's Clint Brown. Well, that's great. I said, Yeah. I love Clint Brown. I said, That's from his CD of his Mellow Songs. You know, Volume One is his version of spiritual rock and roll. You know, and I blast that at my house. I don't blast that here. But, yeah, I, I I have that choice. I can fill up my mind with that or I can get obsessed with something else. That won't do me any good. The passengers on the liner have all kind of freedom, but the ship is going to get to where it's going. <laughs> and I think we need to be reminded that God's going to get this where he wants it to be. That's his sovereignty. I I don't like the word control. Because that's a difficult word if you use that in the Las Vegas shooting. Is God in control? You know, somebody makes that statement and says, is that, did he control that? He do that. The well, way he allowed it. But that's not controlling it. That's against his will. That was against his will. So why did he stop? it? Because he gives us that space to make decisions, even though they're horrific decisions, that catch us up in things that's out of our control. You know, when she walked away after we talked to her and she saw us praying, and I, I said, Tim, she may be like those people who went to that concert that night. They fully expected when it was over to go home. And says this is a typical day. Who knows if she's going home. We, we, we live in this world that we just kind of take it for granted that nothing, nothing like that's going to happen. And, and what a horrible way to have a wake-up call that the unknown, the unprepared, the horrific can happen to us, and it's not our doing. It, it's not our doing. We're, not, we're just driving down the road. We're not in the car, the person that gets distracted but they affect us. And this is the world of free will. If, you know, it's kind of like Brenda telling Jason says, you want to go in the military? Don't you know we're at war? And I said, Brenda, he drives on MacFarlane every day. That, that's not risky. And he's three f- scaffolding levels up in her, uh, Harrison Construction that's not. There's no. There's not a no-risk place to be. No matter what we're doing, where we're at, we have to trust God. We have to trust Him. And you know, then you think about Reggie and Danielle surviving the morning tornado, and then they go over to y'all's house, and here comes another one, and it comes right past the hospital with him. <laughs> Like, what thing is following me, you know? It didn't get me this morning, and here it comes. But those are things we don't have control over. But we still have to trust God to protect us. Tozer writes this. Since God is omniscient, there can be no unforeseen circumstances. No accidents. I like to say no coincidence. As he is sovereign... There can be no countermanded orders, no breakdown in authority, and as he is omnipotent, there can be no want of power to achieve his chosen ends. God is sufficient unto himself for all these things. And at the end of the way, really think about this, at the end of the way, there's going to be a universal review of everybody's lives. Everybody. First, with believers where we stand before the beam of seat. This is not whether we get into heaven or not. It's just that God's going to hold us all accountable as stewards for what we did with what he gave us, right? Whether we accomplish wood, hay, stubble, or things that were precious, which was things we did according to his will. It's going to be tried by fire, and what comes out of the fire shows show what we really did our lives for. That's an ominous thing for us to think that we're going to be given an account, all of us, But after that, the wicked dead are raised and they're going to be examined on what they did. Now, if the sovereignty of God chooses that some people are going to be lost and some people are going to be saved, why is there examination of people? If God is the one that determined it. That makes no sense at all. That he gives us a free will. I want to tell you this. This is the neat thing. You can be as committed to the Lord as you want to be you can you can be a fanatic for Jesus. My mother was that way you know she, if she wasn't singing songs she was whistling songs shes she was a, like a world champion whistler she just she's just happy she loved gospel music she loved the word of God one time she Looked up at us and says, This book is so good, I could just take a bite out of it. <laughs> Literally. So, well, that would kind of deface the book. But it, it, it was it kind of magnified that that's where she was at. You and I can let everything bother us to the nth degree. And it's because we're letting it bother us. Or else we can say, I'm not going to spend energy on something I can't change. I'm not going to get my hands all tied up and wringing in despair when I can't change whatever that's bothered me. But what I can have an effect on is how much I let God work in me. And to invite him daily to work me over, reshape me, purge me, cleanse me get my mind where it needs to be lord help me to know how to approach issues help me know how to trust you when things doesn't look good when it's not going well and these are things these are part of the decisions that we make that i think fall within what god is saying says there's no other god besides me there's no other one to answer for you to turn to and it seems that free will is like front and center I think it boils down to what Joshua said near the end of his life. Yeah, as for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. Everybody else can choose what they're going to do. That doesn't mean we're going to follow suit. As for me and my house. We're going to serve the Lord. You, you know, there's a little caution here. Remember that Ananias and Sapphira did not really drop dead because they kept some some of the pay, some of the money. They dropped dead because they wanted everybody to think they had given it all. And God was protective of his early church of the cancer of pride seeping in and image building. And it was really that he even said, you could have kept all of it if you wanted to, but you came in here and you acted in front of everybody else that this is, isn't, Peter? This is what you got for the property? Yeah, yeah. It, it, they, they lied. They lied to the Holy Spirit. But He says you, you could have done anything you wanted to. If you want to say, hey, we got it. We we have, we kept out so much to pay off some bills. The problem was they wanted to. Everybody think they were like Barnabas, who sold the expensive island property to give to the churches. Like, look at the people; they're really like happy with him. We want that. We want the accolades. If there's anything, we ought to have a you know, like this siren that goes off on a good Wednesday when there's no storm, and we hear it rattle the window. Now it's over here. They put it right here close to us. We 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 know when they're testing the siren. It's when we want people to think more of us than what we really are. That's a, that's a hazard. And I think when God, when we got a greater presence of God in our lives, one thing it does, it makes us realize how vulnerable we are and how much we need Him and how little we are in the face of things that, are going on, we really need him. And as the song said, Brandon, we want you, Lord. We want you. It's not that we are okay if you do something. We want you to do things in us, Lord. Yes. You know, it's, you know, they they had a big thing about singing God Bless America. I saw a video of that. Uh, I I don't think any of that mattered to that man. And uh, I don't think first graders at Sandy Hook had done anything to deserve that. And uh, that just really, those people really don't need a response because they're so far away from what really needs to be discussed. But I tell you what, there's right and left people who stepped in and um, God bless them for those who really were there to intervene and put their lives in the line. And I'm sure some of those who, are, who were fatalities were trying to help people instead of them running get into safety themselves, but our, it's just you know that kind of statement shows how how much our need our country needs a revelation of God and a move of God, and I think we we would serve better to just stay away from those things and and uh, talk to the waitress down at Waffle House about where she's at with the Lord, uh, because I walked into the bank Monday midday and. The lady said, how are you doing? We know each other very well, same bank. I said, I'll tell you one thing, I'm doing better than a lot of people in Las Vegas. And she says, isn't that so? It just makes you put a perspective on, do you think you have problems? You know, there's people that are really in critical condition because the kind of ammunition that guy had, it's just not, it's not, it's just horrible what it does to what it hits and to have human beings at the end of that fire is just it's unfathomable but god help god help those who are recovering and we need to pray for our nation that this will do something to cause people to think about their own mortality and that you can go to something you think is perfectly safe and then something like that happens well let's stand together